Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. From the credits. This is the show where we learn about movies by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. Today we're going to be discussing the film Moonstruck. And joining us today is our special guest, improv instructor ensemblist Liz Allen. Hey, Liz. <laughs> Hi, you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you, Liz. We're so excited to chat with you today. Ditto. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yes, I teach improv for a living, which is kind of an unusual way to uh, make money. I teach improv to both the theater acting world to um, creative types of people. And I also teach improv to people who are in more traditional business type roles to help them learn to work together. Fantastic. And what are some of the projects you've worked on? I mean, I've worked with, you know, the, the big guns, the big tech companies. I've also worked with very small niche companies that you would never think would be such a big industry. Well, one of the things that kicked off my corporate teaching world was a million years ago, Kevin Mullaney started the Roadshow, a touring company to do business workshops through IO back in the mid nineties. And we got some pretty big contracts like Bechtel pens. You don't realize how big the pen, like the writing pen world is yeah. until you get a bunch of VPs and ordering pizza and learning learning improv. So those, you know, my corporate experience, thankfully has been um, varied and for a while. And then, you know, I work with a lot of improv theaters around the country. I feel very lucky that I've established some relationships with lots of small, very small improv communities all around the world that collectively create this great big improv community that we're a part of. That's very cool. And you've also worked in uh, the film industry as well, right? Yes, I have. I helped Mike Birbiglia with his movie, Don't Think Twice. Uh, it's a movie that centers on um, what it means to be a part of an ensemble, an improv ensemble. Yes. And then when one or two of the people want to leave the ensemble for a more commercially viable way to live. Being an improviser alone and doing shows is hard to pay the bills. You have to convert it to another more commercially viable arena so mike made this movie back in 2016 called don't think twice about the idea of improv and del closes theories about don't overthink improv get in jump in and do it and he wanted the cast to look like they've been together for 10 or 11 years so just very kind of him he called me our, our mutual friend was tammy sager who's in the movie and he called me and said could you come coach them so that they have the look and feel on film of a group that's been together for a decade, even though they just met last week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. And, and we all know what that means. Yeah. Like it's, it's deep intimacy. It's inside jokes. It's um, a knowledge of another person that's in a way closer than your family relationships, you know, improv breaks down those borders. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I was like, yeah, I think I can help. I think I can bring them together and coalesce them through our improv skills to, to make them look like a long-term ensemble. And his script was just so gorgeous and so real. Yeah. Yes. That, that movie was incredibly relatable. I feel, yeah. To anyone who's done improv in a group for a long time and watched it splinter off, it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm like, it's a surprisingly 
for a movie about improv comedy, it's surprisingly not funny sometimes in a good way. Like it's very realistic and like touching and like, just like, oh man, this moment's very real. Yeah. It it borders on too real. Uh, (laughs) As as someone who has done improv with Susan for a long time and, you know, Liz has been one of our teachers. It is, I will say, you know, those relationships and how they evolve and, and all the, the stuff that goes into improv, it is very realistic film. Um, all the little weird things they do, it's like, yep, that's that's improv. Yeah. Um, but it, I think, you know, Liz, your touches on this film must have really brought that t- together because it Aww. feels so real. Well, that's sweet of you to say. I appreciate that. And, and I'll take that compliment. But I will tell you that it started with his script was so pure about not pulling any punches. He wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna make it seem better than it is. And when I read the script, I was bawling because I was like, this is what, what, what it's like. <laughs> I jokingly say the life of an improviser is actually quite miserable. And to choose it, even though you choose the highs and the joy of improv, there's nothing more thrilling to me than those collaborative moments of improv. But there's a lot of terrible moments too. And what I liked about the movie was that he didn't hide the terribleness yeah. and he makes it believable. Okay, I usually don't go about, it's never more than two months that someone doesn't tell me they just saw the movie, they're watching the movie or they wanted to tell me about it. And they usually say something along the lines of, God, I love it, it made me cry. Finally, yeah. my mom knows what I, what I, why I love improv and why oh. I do it. That's cute. <laughs> It does give you a really good insight into why people do it and keep doing it. And like, even though from the outside, it probably looks very futile to like continue doing improv. Like when you're in it, it's like, no, this is worth it because you're always creating something new. There's not many mediums where you get to do that. And there are those special moments you just feel like, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, Those special moments. But yeah, I also cried hard at the end of this movie. (laughs) Ben's like, it's so hard. I cry and I've seen it. Yeah. Susan's a crier. I do cry very easily. But this movie, she was like real crying. (laughs) It's tough. I mean, there are so many moments. Like when he comes in and he's announcing he has the audition and and the and Chris Gethard's character is like, oh, my dad's been in an accident. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, don't say it now. Right. Don't announce now that you got the show. And then he oh. does it anyway. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And then if he didn't announce it, everyone's like, why didn't you tell us? Yeah. I know. It's like, no it's way. like, there's no way to win, but there's no way to win. But I mean, I was thinking cringing, like, no, don't say it. Don't say it. But yeah. I yeah. love that Mike wrote, you know, no, he has to, he has mm-hmm. to say this. It's because he, you know, it's just, we could, I could talk about Don't Think Twice for eight hours because right. it's our lives on, mm. on film. Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So how long did you have to work with that cast to get the oh, right movie? Okay, so that summer, let's see, we got together in several sets of um, workshops and I never counted up the exact hours. I'm going to say somewhere between 10 and 30, somewhere in there. I really don't know the exact amount of time because sometimes we would stop and then they would go off and film something okay. and then come back and work with me. Or then other times they would work with me and it would be being filmed. And, oh, wow. and yeah, and some of that made it into the movie, which I love so much where I'm off stage. You don't even know I'm a part of some uh-huh. of what we're doing, which I just, that just makes me feel so honored and treasured. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, that someone trusted me. But so I work with them on and off throughout the entire summer. And we first met at, at in this old 
ballroom in New York City where Mike had arranged for us to have this big space that it was just me and them for hours. And, you know, Kate McCoochie and, and Gillian Jacobs had never really improvised. Oh, wow. And then we've wow. got Keegan and Tammy and Mike and who are very experienced. Yeah. So my intersection for their experience was yes. Like if I could just get them to a place of adventure, uh, yes to an agreement to an adventure, it made the newer people feel less intimidated and it made the older people feel uh, less that they had to lead. Right, yeah. right. So, I, I mean, I was just so thrilled that he asked me to come in and help with something that it clearly didn't need any writing or acting help because mm -hmm. he's so talented and they're so talented. And I just loved his concept. But I was sort of helping with like the background texture and it, and it made me feel good that everyone was so incredibly receptive. And I mean, within that first, very first rehearsal, I remember thinking like, okay, from an improv standpoint, we're golden. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that's really, really cool. We've jumped into it already. Yeah. But okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we have an essential question that we need to answer. And the question What's, is, all right. what is improv comedy? Yes. Um, well, I'll get back to you in a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually do have a strong opinion about this, as you guys know, that improv is not intentionally comedic. It's not intentionally funny. Improv is inherently honest. Are you willing to work with people, unzip yourself and share your honest selves without someone giving you a script? You share your honest selves. And then the comedy comes from the collaboration of different people's points of view. And the comedy also, I think, stems from our, our deep pain, that theory that the funniest stuff comes from the darkest stuff. So I think people are drawn to improv because they, they're inherently chomping at the bit to talk. People are drawn to improv because people have a lot to say about the world. And no, thank you. I don't need scripts yet. <laughs> because I've been formulating a lot of theories about the world. And I'd like to have a platform to work out some of my views and to do it in a collaborative environment. So the comedy is a byproduct of the connection. I think. What do you guys think of that? What do you think it is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have an exact definition, but I feel like improv, like everything you just said very much applies. Like it's all about the collaboration. You'd go in without a plan and you just, you have to build whatever you're making with these people that are on stage. And that's all that matters. Like that's all you need to focus on. It's also just like nice, what I like about improv, I don't know if it's really definition, but it's a place where as an adult, you can just go and just be yourself and, yes. be a character and like, just do it. You don't have to think about the impact necessarily or like the results or like any kind of tangible product. Like you're just supposed to be in it and making it. So I think that's really, really fun and powerful. And you don't get to do that very often as an adult. So well, you don't. And that trust to have trust with people you know, you asked me a minute ago about what projects have I worked on? Some of the biggest impact with corporation is that in a competitive money environment to have a team of salesmen realize, oh, we get so much more done or salespeople if we trust one another inside yeah. the company, we trust each other. We get, we can be free if we trust each other. And that's, I think the comedy is just a tiny little bit of it. Mm -hmm. It's, but, but when the comedy hits, you guys know my thing on if you want to be funny, go deep. If you want a funny show, share emotional depth. And, and I think that the teams that are really willing to be daring emotionally are also hilarious. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that would be my definition of improv comedy. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Liz. So back up a little bit. So we know that now improv is your career. How did you get that? What was your path to get to this point you're at now? I didn't even know what improv was. I didn't even know what, really, I didn't know what Second City or the Chicago world of improv was at all. Uh, Into my mid-20s, I moved to Chicago accidentally in the summer of 90, just on a whim for a project for a pharmaceutical company. I was working as an engineer. I was not a happy person inside, and I didn't really understand what were the forces I was struggling with. Was I unhappy because of my family of origin had tension, or uh, I come from alcoholism? I come from all sorts of family dynamics that aren't pleasant. And then I took a very narrow track that I was going to be autonomous and make money. So I became an engineer. Yes, I was autonomous. Yes, I made money, but I was miserable inside. Looking back, I realized I was seeking ensemble, but I didn't know that. I did not know that was my quest. So I moved to Chicago in 90 and I had a couple of project managers that would say things like, you know, you're fun to have in a meeting because you'll find, you'll find jokes, you're lighthearted. You know, you, you seem fun to be around. And what I didn't realize was that was me trying to lighten the mood and find something else besides, I can't talk about pressure sensors all day. It just does not work for Liz. I don't sit in a cubicle and have people give me calculations under the door and I slide them back. That just doesn't fit my personality. So someone said, you should go see this show at Second City. And I literally, I remember literally saying, what's Second City? So I go, I see a show the summer of 90 and I was hooked and I was like, how do you do this? I want to, I can't believe they're improvising. I thought I was seeing the main stage. I was just seeing a level five show. And I thought I could do something like that. Thank goodness I didn't see the main stage. I think I would have been intimidated because Carell and Colbert and all those guys, I think Farley was on stage then. Okay. And Amy Sedaris. And so I decided I'm going to sign up for classes and they lost my check. Oh no. I know. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not supposed to take improv. And then they called me back and said, well, we'll get you in the next session, send your check. And the next session had still to this day, some of my best long-term improv friends that had the two Dassies, Bob Dassey and his brother, Ed. Can you even believe it? Jay Succo, Paul Grandi, uh, someone you don't know, Kelly Ruda, she's not an improv anymore, but these people that I met, yeah, I was supposed I was supposed to take it then. So mm-hmm. I believe Group Mind took my check, and then I was so hooked by this concept of improv. But I was worried about paying my own bills, so I did like an eight year crossover where I did improv, did it more, I took more classes, I went to the city, went to Improv Olympic, and then I became a technical writer because it was something I could do a little bit on the off hours while I, so that's what I did for years to learn improv and to understand the art form. I couldn't let go of it. And there were so many things like Sharna, Sharna told me one time I wasn't funny. Don't go home. She was the woman who, you know, who runs, ran IO for 40 years. She says, I never said that to you. And I had so much self-doubt, but I kept feeling pulled to improv. And I believe it was because I was seeking ensemble. I was looking for a group of people that I wanted to support, who wanted to support me, that I felt trust with. And I remember one time Del Close saying, well, uh, these people are going to, they're with you even when you're not on stage, because once you're in a group and they support you, you're in a group always. And I was like, tears coming out of my eyes for days after that, because 
that's what I was looking for is collective support. So I got into improv. I wasn't, it, I was 28 when I took my first class. Did I know it was going to change my life? Of course not. Did I know I was going to become so enamored and love it so much that I'd actually enjoy teaching it? No, I had no idea. I had no idea about any of this, but what I did was just kept listening to the littlest voice inside me that said, there's something for you here. And I guess that's what I would say to people in, who want to go into a creative industry that the path is rarely clear. And the light that you use as your lantern is that little voice that says, there's something for you here. There's something for you here, but you don't know what it is. So be practical, you know, pay for the roof over your head and pay for lights and pay for food. But for me, I just, I kept like taking another class. I kept showing up for more opportunities. And I did think, dang, if I ever get good enough at this art form, I can teach it. I'd like to teach it in certain ways. And I'm still kind of using those theories when I teach. Do you have in your career either a favorite moment or a moment where you were just like, I cannot believe that this is my job, either in a oh. good way or bad way? Oh, there's, I mean, <laughs> take every single moment I spent on the set of Don't Think Twice, okay? <laughs> take every conversation I ever had with Mike Birbiglia where yeah. he, you know, especially he's directing movie, right? So he's distracted. So we had like a shorthand that we didn't even mean to have. And he would just say just a short sentence uh this is coming up we got to work on this I'd be like okay got it <laughs> and <laughs> so when we were in New York and he was filming some of the improv sequences and he had put out a blast to his his email list mm -hmm. if people wanted to show up at the Cherry Lane Theater he had four different showings where the cast would have to change four different costumes as you saw as the story progresses through Don't Think Twice they go back right. and they Every time that new audience would come in and they were so excited and then the cast would come out and talk with the new audience, I'm in the back because we can't really give away me because I'm yeah. not really in the cast, but right. I'm there helping. I would run backstage and give some improv directions for this, even though it was scripted mm -hmm. I'd say like, Hey, you guys, I think this is how you would, if you were improvising this, this is how it would be. Yeah. So I'm running back and forth to the back of the stage. And then I'm going backstage and truly exactly what you said. I'm like, how is this my life? How is this my life? How is this my life that I'm helping this creative collaborative experience that's going to get caught on film as a biography of our lives? It captures the cross section of time of everything I've poured my heart and soul into. And it's done with such respect. And I'm feeling so respected. And I respect the cast and Mike so much and all the people that worked on it. So I'm going back and forth, right? And this woman that was far left in the audience, she taps me, sort of kind of almost grabs my leg a little bit, <laughs> raises me. And I stop and she goes, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, I'm the improv helper. And she was like, okay. And I was like, I can die now. I'm happy. Yeah. Improv helper. That's a cool title. Yeah. <laughs> thought it was funny she'd notice like who's this strange woman you know hair flying running back there that was a moment susan where i was just like if all of this happened because i happened to take a class at second city then this just proves listen to that voice there's something for you here mm -hmm. well that's a perfect lead into our last question for you yes. what advice do you have for people who are interested in either getting into improv getting into coaching or um anything else well 
be open to let the path unfold in front of you. I didn't know I was going to enjoy coaching as much, if not more than performing. I had no idea. I didn't know I would even be good at it. I'd never taught anything except maybe, you know, cards to the kids I babysat across the street. I'd never really taught anything. So I didn't know when I started improv that actually the path for me was going to be through teaching and coaching and directing. So what I would say is let the path surprise you. First thing, like go into, if you go into it for one thing, don't be surprised if it switches to another, that's okay. The second thing is get over the fact that you don't have a soundbite path for your aunts and uncles. They won't know what you're doing and why. Here, wait, you guys, I'm going to show you something on the um, audio. All right, so this is tooting my own horn. This is a, I won, I was lucky enough to win the Del Close Award for coaching for years. Phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. It got renamed. I'm grateful to the Liz Allen Teaching and Excellence Award, and I'm grateful for that. So here's my dollar store Del Close skull, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Just for our listeners, it is a, is that a plastic skull? Oh, yeah. Glued, a painted brown, glued to like a wooden, like, yeah, plaque board. Like what you would get at Michael's. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing engraved. And and yet it's so meaningful to me because it represents years of hard work and dedication to an art form that I believe in so much. I never, there wasn't even an award when I started coaching. It wasn't like I was aiming for it. I hope to win that award. I just, it just happened. But my point is when I told some people in my family who aren't in a creative community that I won this award, their first question was always, well, how much did you win? What was the prize money? Yeah. Right. Did did you, what are you going to get for it? Did they give you, are you going to have like a year's assignment and a great salary? (sighs) And I was like, no, I didn't. Nobody even bought me a beer. So what my advice would be, and I wish I'd learned this sooner. I wish I just said to everybody who didn't understand why I was so dedicated to improv for no good reason, just to say, I'm doing it because a little boy says I need to. And that's all you need to know. I realize I put it in the creative realm, but it's really any realm. It would have made me calmer because I had so much anxiety talking to people in my family or, or people who they mean well, but they're like, this seems like a fool's errand. And it, it wasn't, and it's, it isn't, and it never is. And I always tell everyone I'm wealthy in millions from experience. My experiences have been, you know, the gold standard. And look, here we are. We met in a class. Like, we didn't know. We didn't know something was going to blossom and keep giving. But to me, this is the wealth of the creative life. And I don't know. My advice is just, just find something that you can say to get them off your backs and move on. Perfect. (laughs) Let's get to our featured film. Okay. Today we're discussing the 1987 film Moonstruck. It was written by John Patrick Shanley and directed by Norman Jewison. It stars Cher, Nicolas Cage, Olympia Dukakis, Vincent Gardinia, and John Mahoney. It won the Oscars for Best Actress in a Leading Role, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and Best Writing for a Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen. So, Susan, what's this movie about? Uh, I'll give a quick breakdown because I feel like we have a lot to talk about here. So we meet Loretta right at the top. She is a woman in her late 30s. She's a widow. Um, It is mentioned many times in the film that her husband was hit by a bus. It's mentioned very casually most of the time. And when we meet her, she 
So the impression I got was that she just worked for this guy because they didn't have a lot of chemistry, but this is actually her boyfriend, Johnny, and they become engaged. She walks him exactly how to like ask a woman to marry you. That's how much she kind of runs his life. Um, but then he immediately has to leave. His mom is in Sicily. She is dying. He has to get on a plane, but he's like, right before he leaves, he's like, Hey, I have an estranged brother. I need you to go make amends. So that he comes to our wedding, gives her this huge task. So she forgets to do it until the next day when he calls her, he's like, Hey, did you talk to my brother? She's like, Nope, I'll call him now. And that's when we get to meet Nicholas Cage, who acts. I feel like there is a signature Nicholas Cage acting style that is on full display here. And it's great. And then the movie kind of takes it from there and, you know, Ronnie and Loretta start to fall in love. And we also meet her parents who they have a lot of relationship stuff going on. And just, we get to see so many different family relationship interactions, romantic, tons of them. And it's, it's very crazy, everything that happens. Um, But also just at the end, you're like, how could these people ever talk to each other again? But they're family and they do, and it's fine. Yeah, they (laughs) It's like another, it's just like a day in the week of that yeah. big Italian family. Yeah. Absolutely. So heads up, we are going to be spoiling the movie. Yes, there will be some spoilers. Um, so go watch Moonstruck first if you haven't. Uh, it's it's a ride and it's worth it. It is a ride. <laughs> so, but before we get too far into it, Liz, you picked this movie for us to watch. Why did you choose this one? Oh, because to me, Moonstruck has one of the most efficient scenes with dialogue I've ever seen. And it's just right to it i lost my hand he didn't lose his hand johnny lost his hand or right to it when they're just like you're a a bride without a head a wolf without a foot like they just get right to it go to the opera with me one time all right fine wait where's where's the mess like (laughs) i just i love that that like at the end spoiler when olympia dukakis says stop seeing her Mm -hmm. he's like okay and then she's like I love you, Tiamo, Tiamo. He's like, Tiamo. Or when she's like, Dad, we got something to talk about. All right, let's go into the kitchen. Dad, <laughs> Dad, I'm getting married. Again? Didn't work the first time. Like, there's no bullshitting. There's, no. There's, there's, there's no beating around the bush. There's no wasted dialogue. No. Um, well, they took every scene and they distilled it to its most barest reactionary comedy. Yes. Honest. I, I think you're absolutely right about this dialogue. I love the scene where Nicolas Cage first says, I love you. And then she slaps him and says, snap out of it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's such a good reaction to that line. Or like when he, when he says that moon, cosmos moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cos- and then, and then he turns around that night after he sees the moon, says cosmos moon. And she goes, you look just like you did when you were 19. And he's like, really? And then this old couple is showing us that, the frisky connection yeah. and their their love of one another hasn't died out over the years. And that's a, actually when he turns on, she's like the way the moonlight's falling on your face. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm, <laughs> because that's the language they've learned to speak in its most efficient form. This, whenever I sit down to write, I like to watch Moonstruck to remember, don't dilly dally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, when I was watching this, I was like, had to remind myself it was a romantic it's a romantic comedy technically right and I had to remind myself because most romantic comedies there's so much back and forth and like are they going to get together there's all these obstacles where it's this it's like hey I love you uh all right and then it's like well we can't be together and then like right off the opera it's like well okay we'll just be together I won't marry your brother it's like just get to it (laughs) there's not a lot of back and forth which is interesting 
this movie is so interesting this is actually the first time i've seen it so thank you for suggesting it liz you're this well, is you're great very welcome. and I, i'm a huge nicholas cage fan like a yeah, huge so that this is a huge nicholas cage so this fan. is a treat for me the movie is so much about marriages and about the relationships in marriages and how it's so funny because if you look at the different pairings of the characters in the movie it's like here's a, a marriage where they yell and scream at each other but they they love each other and it doesn't matter or here's one where you know her uh, Cher's parents you know uh, the dad's having an affair and and his and her mom knows it um, and at the end they sort of resolve it over eating breakfast and it, it's just it's so interesting to watch how these relationships you know they, they're all different um, but they all have that uh, you know that love at, at the center of them yeah and even at the end like the family aspect where Johnny's obviously like not joining in the champagne toast he's like no i don't want to do this and the grandma's like no your family just get over here like we're all we're all, all family now so come have some champagne he's like oh okay like <laughs> it's very similar we did another movie we did the family stone and it has a similar i don't know if you've ever seen that movie i have not okay well i won't spoil it but okay it has a similar ending where you're like how do these people ever talk to each other again but they do and it's fine so it's just really interesting like showing like yeah, we did all this stuff and it's kind of messed up, but we're all, we're all still a family. We're all just going to sit here and eat oatmeal. And <laughs> I know. And it's, it's amazing. Like you've picked up on exactly the thing that come sort of draws me into it every time. And I noticed that over the years, I've probably watched Moonstruck easily 20 times, easily since 1987. I remember I saw it in the theater. What I love about it is that they're they're The characters are an ensemble and they have tolerance yeah. for one another. Like it's how an ensemble should have taught like, and, you know, one might argue the mom was too much of a pushover and she wouldn't have let him, should have let him back in the house after the affair. However, we have to remember her mindset, probably when she got married, I'm guessing was like 1920 yeah. or 1930, maybe, maybe not that long ago. Maybe that's not, her character wasn't that old. But the point is, is she had this sort of this mindset about relationships that has changed. And we're seeing that through Cher's character that generationally things change. But nonetheless, they're still an ensemble and they tolerate one another. And mm -hmm. I, I used to watch that last scene and think, why can't my family sit down and go, yeah. you do this. I feel this way. Clear the air. And then we all have fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the tolerance of ensemble. Right. I mean, also, it's so well acted. It's, so, it's just... And like everybody that comes in, you know, she, and she grunts every Olympia, uh, uh, everything. Is, yeah. uh, and yeah. you just get like her struggle. <laughs> the thing with Olympia Dukakis' character, if people are like, well, she's a pushover, but she says at the beginning, like, oh, do you love Johnny? She, and uh, Cher's right. character is like, no, I don't love him. Right. Okay, good. Because if you love him, they'll make you crazy. Yep. She obviously loves, she loves Cosmo, which is yes. why she, you know, she's like, oh, he makes me, I don't, you know, he's cheating on me, but I still want to be with him. So yeah. we're going to figure this out. It's about love. It's, it's, it's so true. And it's so about love. And then like when they wake her up and she opens her eyes, like who died? Yeah. Like <laughs> they just get right to the heart of it of like, but you're right. She loves him. That is true. And I guess it is about love that Loretta didn't want love again. Cause it hurt so bad when he got hit by the bus. So she's choosing Johnny. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I thought, it, I just think it's so interesting that love love prevails with ronnie yeah yeah it, it's very interesting and of course nick cage is on full nick cage at the mm -hmm. beginning of his role and i love it and it's hilarious and it's it's so like jarring but delightful <laughs> and it's 100 great right after that scene happens actually in that scene which scene the scene where he's 
you first meet Johnny. His monologue about yeah, okay. and and they're in the the bakery, um, the basement of the bakery, and that store clerk that brought Loretta down, and she says, "I love that man. He's so tormented," or whatever she says. I thought she was going to play a huge role in the movie of like, or is this other woman who loves him? And then we never, never see her again. again. <laughs> okay, so I have, I never thought that, that she could become um, a part of the movie. But what I did think is that her purpose there is to show adolescent crush love versus real deep life oh, love. Oh, that's a good That's point. phenomenal, yeah. yeah. Because when she's like, Oh, I love him. He's so tormented. Like, no, she's infatuated. Yeah. She's, right, right. And she's also, and I love that she's a little bit like, why? Why do you need to talk to him? It's so funny. <laughs> but to me, it shows that uh, maybe we, to me, what I like about it is that we can get distracted with immature love, but mm-hmm. clearly there was a deeper love. What I always thought, thought was interesting about how they did that scene. So he does a scene and she's like, she wasn't put off by him. She's like, can we just go somewhere and talk? And he's yeah. a jerk. Right. She, she sees beneath his bluster and she's like, can he go talk? And then, you know, he's kind of like, fine. What I love is he throws the door open and she, you know, she walks right by him. And I just thought that was such interesting choreography because because he wants to impress her and be a gentleman, despite that he's just been such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and then he says, she says, are you hungry? And he says, no, I'm going to cook you something. Like... <laughs> He just said no. Yeah, and he orders the steak well done. And she's like, I'm like, giving it to you, Plotty. <laughs> right, that's it. How do you want you to say I don't? I did well, yeah, I, that, it's like they they know to not listen to the the fluff talk or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's it's super great. Uh, and, you know, the movie's well directed. The music's great. Um, it's well edited. You know, they really did a nice job putting this film together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really fun uh, to watch. So the question is, who would you guys recommend this movie to? Well, I think I'd really recommend it to anybody who wants to look at the structure of writing a scene or even improvising a scene where it's like, just cut out, you know, just say what you really mean. That's why, but I mean, also just, it's a movie. I think it's held up since 87. Personally, I think it holds yeah. up. Yeah, this is, it was a fun movie to watch. And I mean, obviously recommend it to Nicolas Cage fans, right? Because he's definitely a focal point. But yeah, I think it's just a fun, a fun ride. Like I would recommend it anybody who likes watching movies, I think. Yeah. I, that's I'm, what I was yeah. YouTube and just anybody who likes watching movies. Yeah. I mean, this it, is a it's a crowd pleaser. I would say, you know, if you are um no matter how old you are, you can relate to the characters in this movie. And I it's so much fun because it's sort of like a very traditional family but mm. she's not traditional at all no one's actually traditional they think they're yeah but they're not really so it's, it's sort of a fun fun way and it's a, a movie about family so it's pretty cool well it is and also it's uh it's family friendly like what i like about it is they accomplish this beautiful emotional ride with with no bad language no mm. violence what i also like is it's a movie about specifics like to me it just brings home like when he gives her the bracelet and he goes the birds fly to the stars yeah. i guess <laughs> or like you know john mahoney when she's like you're too old for yeah. like just these specifics of him being a professor and what used to mean a lot to him i don't know i could just keep going on and on the details in this movie i think are just 
so important and the details of the words and the things like nothing's not needed. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I also think um, it is a time capsule, a little bit like Working Girl. You get a sense of the late 80s styles. Yeah. That's super fun. But I think Cher was amazing in it. I think Cher did a great job. Yeah. I'm yeah. I mean, whenever there's a super famous person, I, I like, if I forget that they are who they are in the movie, then like that tells me they did a good job acting, right? Because I wasn't That's looking true. at her as Cher. 100%. So, yeah, yeah. she deserve the oscar for this role because yeah she does such a good job and you know even after her transformation from mm -hmm. you know a regular person into like the share-esque beauty and but she still is herself right and she's she's just very compelling to watch yeah so she did so too. she did a great this, job this is my last thing i'll say about this movie that blew me away mm -hmm. was that he loses his hand right it's his left hand and uh so he's got this wooden prosthetic hand and then when he reaches his hand out to her like you know, come with me, come with me and brings out the hand. Of, and I was like, what a beautiful setup for the meaning of this prosthetic hand in the beginning to later. And ready, everybody tie this long form. Things happen in the beginning and we don't know why, but the whole point of a long form improviser is to make our early choices make sense later to have faith. And I just thought that's such a beautiful buried treasure that this hand isn't just, a, it becomes their bridge too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm sure that's an intentional writing choice that I don't know how to do intentionally, but improvisationally, that's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Share Pair Cage Match. We're going to uh, <laughs> we're going to see how well both of you know the films of Moonstruck stars Share and Nicolas Cage. Liz, you're going to be playing against Susan. So you're ready. <laughs> here, are, you're ready. here are the rules. I'm going to take turns reading the title of three movies starring either Cher or Nicolas Cage to each of you, but only one of them is real. You have to name the real one. And if you're wrong, the other player gets a chance to steal. I have seven real movies for you to identify. The first person to name four wins our prize. And uh, Susan, what's our prize? Our prize is some Life in the Credits merch. So there's a mug and a shirt and I think some candy. We're working on the candy part. But... I don't know. We're, we're, we'll yeah. just sign you some stuff in the yeah. mail. All right. So Liz, would you like to go first or would you like Susan to go first? I think I'm going to go first. Yes. Good choice. I Confident love that. choice. I love that. Uh, we're going to start off with Nicolas Cage. All right. Okay. So Liz, one of these is a real movie. Name the real one. All right. Your first movie is Plaid Dad. Your second movie is Face Off. And your third movie is From Here to There to the Great Nowhere, the Dr. Seuss story. I think it's Face Off. Face Off is correct. That is correct. Although I want to tell you, I want to see Plaid Dad. Me too. I mean, it was 5149 Plaid Dad or Face <laughs> Off to Plaid well, Dad. Uh, I do have the, uh, the summary of Face Off for those of you who don't know. Here it is. To foil a terrorist plot, an FBI agent undergoes facial transplant surgery to assume the identity of a criminal mastermind who murdered his only son. But the criminal wakes up prematurely and seeks revenge. For those of you who haven't seen Face Off, it's delightful. Go watch it. All right, Susan. Okay. I'm going to give you a share movie. Uh, okay. Okay. Here are your three movies. The Witches of Eastwick. Missing the Train. Or the Grim Fighter. I'm pretty sure it's the Witches of Eastwick. That is correct. Okay. You guys. I've not seen that movie, but I have heard of it. You each have one point. Oh, neck uh, and neck. So the Witches of Eastwood is the th a story of three single women in a uh, picturesque village 
have their wishes granted at a cost when a mysterious man arrives in their lives. Ooh. All right. Now, uh, Liz, back to you. We're tied yeah. up at, at one point each. Um, I'm going to give you a share movie this time, okay? Your movies are The Stage Manager, Burlesque, or Huntress. Which one is the real share movie? I think it's Huntress. I'm sorry, it's not Huntress. Oh. Susan, you get a chance to steal. Is, is it, it Burlesque? It is Burlesque. Okay. Oh. Susan stole a point. All right, so <laughs> Liz, are you all right? No, I'm going to have to take a moment to emotionally re repair because, I mean, I lived 13 years in Vegas. I should know everything related to the word burlesque. <laughs> uh, well, burlesque is the story of a small town girl who ventures to Los Angeles and finds her place in a neo-burlesque club run by a former dancer. Susan, your next movie is a Nick Cage movie. Are you ready? Okay. Here are your three movies. Kissable Lips, Pause to the Wall, or The Wicker Man. Oh, it's the wicker man the wicker man yeah. is correct uh the wicker man is the story of the a sheriff investigating the disappearance of a young girl from a small island and discovers there's a larger mystery to solve among the island's secretive neo-pagan community Ooh, neo-pagan yep it is a wild movie um and if you want some entertainment just look up nick cage wicker man for 30 seconds of crazy stuff on youtube really? okay good to know i don't know anything about this movie at all all right, uh, we're back to you, Liz. Okay. All right. Um, and this time we're going back to Nick Cage. So All right. here are your three movies. Is it Mandy, Family Cuts Deep, or The Art of Intimidation? Which one is a real Nick Cage movie? I really have no idea. This is going to be a guess, The Art of Intimidation. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Susan. Can you read them again? Is it Mandy or Family Cuts Deep? Family Cuts Deep? That's your guess? Yeah. I'm sorry, neither of you gets the point. The answer is Mandy. Oh. Now this, check out this movie. The enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their what? demon biker henchmen propelling a man to a spiraling surreal rampage of vengeance. Wow. That is Mandy. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lot, lot to digest there. Susan, back to you. Uh, you get a share movie. So your three share movies are Jelly Beans the movie, Loose Change the movie, or Bobbleheads the movie. Bobbleheads the movie is correct. Really? Yep. <laughs> share was in a movie called Bobbleheads the movie. <laughs> wow. Here's what that movie was about: When the toys humans go awol, they must defend their home from unexpected guests, two uninvited intruders who hope to swap a new baseball player bobblehead. For a valuable one. What? <laughs> a movie that sounds as insane as Mandy. Yeah, these are awesome. I'm learning so much today. I'm so glad. Liz, you got the last question. Are you ready? Yeah. This, this is a Nick Cage film. All right. So is it My Hero the Llama, <laughs> A Normal Guy, or Pig? Which is a real Nick Cage movie? My Hero the Llama, A Normal Guy, or Pig? A normal guy. I'm sorry, that's not Nicolas Cage. Susan. I have no idea. What are the other two? My Hero the Llama or Pig? My Hero the Llama. Incorrect! <laughs> pig is the real movie. Pig. And here's what it's about. A truffle hunter who lives alone in the wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved 
foraging pig oh after she is kidnapped. That's a real Nick Cage movie. I have a lot of catching up to do on yeah, I, Nick Cage and Cher. I have a lot of catching up to do. I think Susan won by a lot of points. Susan did win, but I will so, say that, um, you know what, Liz, we like you. We love you. We're going to send you some free merch. What? I'm so lucky. Yeah. So, Liz, this is the first time I've ever won. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I could fall on my sword for you, Susan. So we're going to send you some merch just to celebrate the fact. <laughs> You're the sweetest. I can't wait. That's super sweet. You guys, this was so fun. Thank you for asking me. Well, uh, before we let you go, Liz, is there anything that you would like to plug? Oh, well, let's see. People want to contact me about maybe seeing if I'm offering a new round of classes. That would be terrific. You can find me on Facebook under Liz Allen. There's a picture of the coast of North Carolina. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram, um, Liz Allen Improv. And you're always welcome to email me at people. Uh, I'll give you my email. Liz Allen Improv at Comcast.net. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I also say that, you know, Susan and I have done a lot of improv in our, in our uh, adult lives. And uh, we've had a lot of teachers in Chicago and the surrounding area um, that we've been very lucky to have. But I will say Liz Allen is my hands down my favorite improv teacher. If you get a chance and you love improv or you want to try it out and you get a chance to take a Liz Allen class, do it. Yes. Um, even if you're not sure about it, just do it. You're going to love it. I've had a lot of teachers and no one has taught me like Liz Allen. She is the real deal. <laughs> Agree. Thank you. Five that's, out of five stars. <laughs> that's all. Oh, that's so sweet. That's really, that means so much to me. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Well, so thanks much. for being on the show today. Yeah. I love it. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSongs.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I lost my hand. He didn't lose his hand.